The recording that you're about to listen to is a talk from the City Bible Forum. We would appreciate you respecting our copyright by not making copies of this talk or altering the content in any way. We hope that you find the material beneficial. If you would like more information on the City Bible Forum, you can visit us on the web at citybibleforum.org. Well, if I haven't met you, it's great that I can be here and start off this series interviewing God. But let me begin with a picture. Here is a selfie that I took on Monday night in Sydney after a day's work. The guy on the left is my mate Joseph. Uh, He's an IT programmer. And the guy on the right, well, let's say he scrubs up well in pictures as well in real life. I hope. Now, we all know how uh, workers look like on a Monday, don't we? What did you look like this Monday when you started the working week? Well, I catch a train, I get off at Wynyard Station, and everyone looks like this. It's as if they walked off the set of The Walking Dead. They're zombies. I'm going to work. And they all file through, and they all head off to work. So you'll imagine my surprise when my friend Joseph came in. He caught up with me in our office. That's a picture in our office, just on Bridge Street down there. And he he was... uh, bursting with energy. He was a picture of life. And it's Monday evening, I'm going, mate, what's wrong? And Joseph comes up to me and says, Mark, finally I've made it. It's happened. Something I've been waiting for has happened. I'm really shocked. What is it? So when you're kind of taken back like that, my brain started, clicked into overdrive, and I thought, what has Joseph got to share? And I thought, ah, maybe he's quit his job. Now, that may be one, one reason why you're so happy. And I'm going, oh, that's a little bit cynical, isn't it? You know, the only time you're ever excited is when you quit. No, it couldn't be that. Maybe you won the lotto. But no, Joseph doesn't kind of gamble in that way. I know it. Joseph's a young worker. He's going overseas. He's going on a four-week holiday. That's got to be the thing that's got him excited on a Monday night. So, But I thought, you know what? Joseph's my friend. So the best thing I should do is just... Ask him. So I said, Joseph, why are you so excited? And he said, Mark, I finally get to interview somebody. I finally get to be the interviewer. And I kind of had this deadpan face. I said, really? Is that it? And then I thought, you know what? My friend Joseph, he's an IT programmer. Sorry to anyone who's an IT programmer out there. I'm sure you have more of a life than my friend Joseph does. But we all know, don't we, that it's better to be asking the questions rather than answering them. It's better to be the interviewer rather than the interviewee. And today we're starting off a four-week series titled Interviewing God. And I want you to imagine this scenario. Uh, You sit down in a in a chair, and there's a table in front of you, and on the opposite side of the table, there's now an empty chair. You're in a room, and in the background is a door, and the door opens, and God walks in, pulls out that empty chair, and sits down. You might be a little bit nervous at that point. But what question would you start off with? More importantly, how would God answer and what would he say? 
Now, we all know that interviews kind of have a bit of a rhythm to them, don't you? The first question is kind of the opening introduction question, and then you kind of move on to the media questions later on. So our series, Interviewing God, will follow a similar pattern. Here are the four questions. So God, this week we're looking at, so God, tell us a bit about yourself. So God, what is your management style? So God, why are you interested in me? And so God, what do you offer someone else cannot? And today, we're, going, we're looking at the first question. So God, tell us a bit about yourself. And the way we're going to do that is... Over the four weeks, we're just going to be looking at that same short passage, that short portion in your outline that Russell read for us. That's going to be our text for the whole interview, and we'll unpack it as we go along. But hang on, we all need to stop right now, because haven't we made an assumption? And you know the business saying, when you, make an, when you assume, what do you do? You make an ass out of you and me, haven't we made an assumption with our series, which is that God is happy to be interviewed, that God somehow can be interviewed, that he's willing to take a seat in front of you and I. And when you come to philosophy, the answer is yes, you have made an assumption, and it's a very presumptuous assumption. Here's a picture of a guy called Immanuel Kant, and he, uh, when in philosophy, there's this great divide between God and man, such that God is inaccessible. Because as humans, all we have are the phenomena, the phenomenal world, what's in front of our eyes. But what's behind that, you never have access to. And because we're just phenomenal beings, that's why science is so important today. But you know what? Things about God, they're beyond our reach. There is a big gap between God and man. So philosophically speaking, it is too much to ask to interview God. Oh, but comparatively, if we were to look at other religions, is it, is it presumptuous to do this? How many religions would encourage this kind of interaction, do you think? Or if we just, let's say, look at Islam? Well, I think no, because it's a little bit too disrespectful. It's a little bit too chummy to ask God to sit down for you. If you looked at other multi-God religions like Hinduism, the question is, how many chairs do you put out and which God do you interview? Is it kind of a group interview where you interview and they discuss and they come back with an answer? Where is your answer? And if you're into more New Age spirituality with a kind of a Buddhism uh, hint to it, if God is a feeling, if God is a force... You don't interview a feeling or force, do you? You need a manual to understand how it moves. So is this series dead before we even start? In our quest for answers, are we like this fish out of water? We're doomed. Right? Should we be saying, you know, so God, really, will you please kind of hopefully tell me a little bit about yourself? And yet the starting point of the section of the Bible that Russ read to us, the section inside your program, is that the God of the Bible, the God of Christianity, is happy to be interviewed because he is a God who speaks. So God, can you tell me a bit about yourself? Yes, I can. I'm a God who speaks and speaks to people just like you. 
This is what we saw or what we read before. In the past, God spoke to our forefathers through the prophets at many times and in various ways. But in these last days, he has spoken to us. Now, we have to be a bit careful here because this comes from a book written to a specific group of people at a particular time in history. So the us there isn't you and me in Sydney. Historians think that this uh, letter was penned around about 70 AD. And yet, isn't it telling that there's nothing in history to distinguish these people? Historians only know that they received this letter. There are no achievements that mark them out on history's map. They were just ordinary people, historical nobodies just living their lives. And yet the claim is, what? that God had spoken to them. In these last days, he has spoken to us. Now, perhaps, I don't know all of you, I know some of you, but perhaps there are some people who are going to leave their mark in history in this room today. Personally and selfishly, I hope so, because you're going to be my ticket to fame. I don't think I'm going to be famous and I was suggesting to Russ, maybe we can set up a photo booth next week. I can take a picture with each of you in case you make it big. Because that's the way I'm going to be famous. My claim to be famous is that I met you. But the thing is, if you don't leave your mark in history, if you aren't close to somebody who does, if you achieve nothing extraordinary the God of Christianity is happy to speak to you. Can you see now how the philosophical gap, the objection is now bridged? Not only is the quest for God made easier, God speaks, he takes the initiative, he offers himself to be interviewed, but it's bridged in a personal way. God's not on a megaphone, he speaks on intimate terms, he speaks to us. So God, tell us a bit about yourself. Well, I'm a speaking God and I speak to people like you. But two other questions follow now. How often do you speak, if you do speak God, and how do you do it? And they're the next two questions we'll look at. One of the popular arguments against God runs something like this. If God exists, God would show himself. There's little evidence for God, so God is hidden, Conclusion, God hasn't shown himself, so God mustn't exist. As one punter put it, if God is there, why is he so stingy with the evidence? Now, there are many ways to pick that argument apart. And before you do, let's make this observation. It's popular because it resonates. In fact, it resonates not just with the follower of Jesus, but with those who are inquiring or thinking about spirituality. Have you ever called out to God, where are you? Would you show yourself to me? God, why is this happening to me now? God, what are you doing and why are you doing it? How, does, how often does God speak? Is he like the CEO of the large corporate who spams his employees once a month with an update but otherwise remains silent? Is God like the 
lifeguard on Bondi Beach, you know, who yells at the first sign of danger but otherwise leaves us on our merry way to enjoy. How often does God speak? Well, in the past, God spoke to our forefathers through the prophets at many times and in various ways, but in these last days, he has spoken to us. See, the writer here is convinced that God has been speaking all the time. All the time. Why? Because there's a template in the writer's mind. What is it? In the past, God spoke, and he spoke in many times and in various ways. That's what he did in the past, and now, in these last days, he continues to speak. That's the pattern that's been running. See, rather than being silent, this God has always been speaking. There hasn't been a time when the God of Christianity was silent. To put it positively, it's as if God is in the habit of speaking. That's the writer's conviction. That's the pattern that has operated throughout time. It's for that reason followers of Jesus treat the Bible more than just a historical record, but when they read it, actually hear God speaking to them from it. It's for that reason that followers of Jesus see evidence for God everywhere, whether it's in the cry of a newborn baby, whether it's that genuine, authentic laughter around a family meal, or as I caught a train over yesterday morning, the sun peeking through fluffy white clouds. God is not hidden. God is not silent. And it's for that reason that followers of Jesus persevere in seeking to explain this God to everybody, to all kinds of people, because they see that God is in the habit of speaking to people like us. So God, tell us a bit about yourself. I'm a God who speaks to ordinary ordinary people like us. I'm a God who speaks always, but how do you speak? Well, let's recap what we've read and read a little bit further. In the past, God spoke to our forefathers through the prophets at many times and in various ways, but in these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed heir of all things and through whom he made the universe. The Son is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word. How does God speak? Well, in these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son, Jesus. Now, to modern ears, we might feel a little bit short-changed by this, a little bit gypped, because in the past, he spoke in many times and in various ways, but now... God speaks to us by his son, Jesus. In the past, it was many. Now you only get one. There's only one way. Do you feel how this transaction might leave us a little bit shortchanged? And yet, perhaps, the better analogy is one of a TV series. That's what's happening here. This is a picture of my family. That's my wife, Grace. That's my one-year-old son, who she's holding, Mitchell, my soon-to-be four-year-old daughter, Annabelle, and that's me. And we're avid Swans supporters, as you can see. We love the Swans. We've been to many games. Yeah, Russ, my friend over there, he's a GWS or a Giants supporter, and I feel sorry for him. Now, this year, other than supporting the Swans, my wife and I really got stuck into this show, 
Master Chef. We watched it kind of religiously every episode. And we all know that there's a, there's a kind of certain formula to reality TV shows, don't we? Don't we? How, how does it work? You start off with some episodes where you get to know the contestants. You buy into them, you buy into their life stories, and episodes go on. But we all know that the climax is when? At the end. That's when the winners announce. That's when there's the greatest fanfare. That's when they get the largest audience. That's when everyone's talking about it. And as soon as you hit the, fa- the end, as soon as the winner's announced, all the previous episodes kind of get forgotten. You know, at the time, each episode was, you know, we were engrossed in it, we were wanting to know who won, but once the winner's revealed, everything else kind of falls into the background. Well, God's Son, Jesus Christ, is that finale. His arrival is God speaking extravagantly with as much fanfare as possible to draw the largest audience and the largest crowd. Indeed, that must be the case because Jesus, rather than just being a prophet, he is a, he's not just a messenger from God, but Jesus is, in the, in the bottom half of the screen, the sun is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being. Jesus is God. See, as the sun radiates light, so Jesus radiates God's character, his glory, so that people can see. As a mirror reflects back a perfect representation, so Jesus reflects back God to people like you and me. Now, this, is this kind of, how does this work, God being heaven and Jesus being God? That's kind of, it's not the easiest concept to wrap your, mind, wrap your mind around, and if you'd like, you can ask questions about it later. But what is absolutely clear is that this God does not hold back when he speaks. For he chooses not just to deliver a message through a messenger. In the past, that's how God did it. But in Jesus, God hand-delivers the message. He speaks not through a person, but in person. Could you ask for anything more? Now, I've been reading the Bible with a friend. Let's just make up a name for him. Let's call him Bob. He's an actuary. uh, And recently, he just passed his uh, final exam and finally got the professional qualification he'd been studying for. Are there any actuaries here today? One. Okay. Now, from my understanding, and I've got a few friends who are actuaries, when you go through that professional qualification process, few go through unscathed. Actually, it's quite often that you'll fail one or maybe two exams. So it's kind of this, you know, finally you get there. It's a It's a chance to celebrate. And so once I found my friend Bob had passed, I said, let's go out to lunch, let's celebrate. But what he next said to me at lunch, when we were supposed to be celebrating, uh, shocked me, and it still still kind of sits in my head, which is why I'm sharing with you. This is what he said to me. Mark, I thought I'd be more elated now that I'm finished. I've finally made it, haven't I? But to be honest, I felt quite empty. I passed on a Friday and Saturday and Sunday I just sat at home. 
in the lead up when I had when I passed my first exam, I knew what to look forward to, the second exam. So I went out and celebrated with my friends and then started to work hard for the second exam and for the second exam, the third exam. I, ex I was excited as I was going through it, but now that I've made it, now that I'm here at the end, there's nothing else to look forward to. I don't know what's next. It's made me wonder, what is the purpose of it all? Well, if God didn't speak to us, or in fact, if God had stopped speaking, then all I could say to Bob is, best of luck. Make the most of what you have. Your guess is as good as mine. Do you want a hug? But because God speaks to us, because God is always speaking, because God speaks to us in his Son, so we know what he's like, we can find answers to the larger questions in life, to our purpose, to our destination, to questions like, does death have the last word? And what's temporary? And what actually is something I can hope in and truly look forward to? Oh, thank you for coming, God. Thank you for taking me. So, so God, tell us, tell us a bit about yourself. Well, well, I'm glad to be here and happy to take your questions. Actually, I've always been keen to talk. In fact, I've always been speaking to folk just like you. In fact, have you met Jesus? Because he shows you what I'm exactly like. If you look at him, you'll not only hear him speak, but see who I am. Perhaps that's the best place for me to start telling you about myself. Yeah. Can you explain more about how God speaks through his son and also the clouds on your morning commute? <laughs> yeah. Cool. Yeah. Okay. Um, so the idea of God speaking in person or through Jesus is... I guess in the past, God spoke through a messenger. And, and when you hear a message from God or a prophet spoke, that message had authority. Uh, the way you responded to the prophet was kind of a sign of the way you responded to God. But the prophet would never ever say, look at me, look at my life, and I'll demonstrate what God is like. A prophet would never say that. But Jesus kind of takes... At one more step, he says, I don't just have a message, so the way you respond to what I say, or this is this what Jesus said, the, the way you respond to Jesus' words is a reflection of how you respond to God. Jesus would also say, if you look at me, you'll see exactly what God is like. So, for example, a question might be, well, God, what, what moves you to tears? Like, what, what, what gets your heart, grips your heart? And then you look at Jesus. See, Jesus is moved when he sees people who are lost, lost spiritually, wandering around in the dark. That moves him. So now you can say, oh, that's what moves God. In the same way, what, what does Jesus celebrate? What well, gets God excited? You can again look at Jesus and see what God's like. Uh, one of the most, maybe the, 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 the most drastic thing would be that Jesus dies on a cross. He humbles himself and even dies. What does that say about what God is like and what is God doing? I guess that's sort of 
that's, that's kind of what does it mean for Jesus to be, um, or God to speak through Jesus? Um, about the, the clouds, yeah. Um, yeah, you're not going to let me go. The clouds. Um, uh, one, of the, one of the great things is, uh, as you read more of the Bible, that God speaks through his son most clearly in Jesus, most powerfully. But actually that all throughout time, God has been speaking in what's been made, what's actually in front of your eyes. So to use our camp thing, the phenomenal actually are little signposts to, to God. So the beauty in creation actually kind of will lead you to maybe think, is there a beautiful God behind this? And so, you know, uh, it, was, it was perfect. Um, I, was, I was really tired. I had to give this talk on Wednesday morning. I was a little bit nervous, and so I was just looking outside, and I just thought, wow. It's one of those moments where your breath is taken away, like, and this just happens naturally. And I guess that's one of the ways that God is always speaking to people. Yeah, Hebrews. How can yep. we trust that the Bible really answers the question about who God is? Yeah, so I've kind of said you need to look at Jesus. How about the whole Bible? Right. Yeah, um, that's a great question. Uh, as we look at, um, I guess, how do you know the Bible is trustworthy or authoritative? Like, why, why would you rely on it? Uh, I guess the easiest way to answer this question is, how does Jesus treat the Bible? Because if Jesus is God, what he says is authoritative. authoritative. What he kind of credits as trustworthy is trustworthy. He, that's what God, God endorses. And so I guess one way is to think, how does Jesus treat the Bible? Uh, there are two parts to the Bible, kind of things that happened before Jesus and things that happened after. The things that happened before, well, Jesus looks at them and cites them as authority. So, well, he, as he cites them, he's saying, well, this is right, this is true. So you're going to say, well, what happened before, the writings before Jesus, they're authoritative, so I can trust them. And if you look at the writings after Jesus, because he dies and he comes back to life, what happens to this? How do we know those are reliable? Well, again, we go to Jesus, and Jesus commissions people. He authorises them to write on his behalf. And they're called technically apostles, and that's what, how we know those writings after Jesus are legitimate. Because he would have, he said, these are good. So they're trustworthy. Yeah. And authoritative, not just reliable, but Jesus, Jesus said, you need to listen to these, just like you listen to me. The recording that you have just listened to is from the City Bible Forum. For more information about City Bible Forum events in your city, or to order other talks, please visit citybibleforum.org.